blessing us each and every day. And we thank you, Father, uh, that you've uh, created this word for us by the power of your spirit through the hands of men. And it's been cared for and watched over, Father, protected all of these years so that it can get uh, into the hearts and minds of your people. And so, Father, we depend upon your spirit to grant us revelation, insight, wisdom, and instruction in your word. And we give you the praise and the honor for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, let's open our Bibles to the book of Philippians. We'll continue there uh, today. Uh, and so we're in Philippians chapter 1. And we had talked about uh, a little bit last week about how uh, Paul, at this point in time, was in prison and that how all the people in the palace knew about him. Uh, it says in verse 3, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Uh, and so Paul was well known in this area. <clears throat> of course, he's in Rome right now. So if you're well known in Rome, you know, you're well known, right? And so um, <clears throat> anytime somebody is well known, anytime that somebody uh, has any success, there are other people who are, are envious and jealous of that success. And you see that today, how, you know, certain people uh, and you know, I'm not saying I agree with everything that everybody says, but uh, there are certain ministers, especially in a charismatic Pentecostal world, that are very successful as ministers, have very large ministries and uh, bring a lot of income each year in those ministries. And they have a, a lot of uh, tools in that ministry, like jet airplanes, you know, and, and different things. And um, it seems like uh, uh, other people like to pick on those people, you know. They don't pick on the pastor of a small church, you know, that, that's uh, not doing everything he's supposed to be doing there, right? They want to pick on people that are well-known and famous. Uh, and, <clears throat> you know, from, from my perspective, uh, the way that I see it, in fact, uh, hold your place there in Philippians. Turn over to Romans chapter 14. Because really, you know, I don't have a problem with talking about somebody's doctrine. Uh, but uh, when I, if I'm going to talk about somebody's doctrine, I'm going to show... Here's what they said, and here's what the word says, and then let's decide whether that lines up with the word. Uh, and you know, that's I think that's healthy, and I think that's that's uh, okay to do that. Uh, but the problem we run into, we get down to Romans chapter 14, and it says in verse four, it says, "Who art thou that judges another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand." <clears throat> so. When we start crossing a line from saying this doctrine is wrong and here's why to this is a terrible person, you know, that sort of thing and, and judging their eternal destiny, you know, then we've really crossed the line of being their judge. And so, you know, I'm not anybody's judge. And I can tell you, you know, I mean, we talk a lot around here about how there has been um, uh, errors in doctrine in the area of finances. Of course, that's always a big area of, of errors, a potential error for doctrine. Because there's such a pull, right? There's such a desire and a need uh, for finances in the ministries. And so <clears throat> because of that, you know, the, we've seen in the charismatic Pentecostal world, probably more than any other group of people in a church where there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, bad doctrine in that area. Uh, but at the same time, you know, a lot of these people are doing a lot of great things for the Lord, right? Uh, and so do you throw the baby out with the bathwater? Do you... Uh, uh, not allow them to have mercy if they are actually doing things that are that are wrong um, to allow them to repent. You know, I mean, so am, am I their judge? You know, it's the whole point. Right uh, now, uh, you know, to me, that's one thing. We, hey, we disagree on doctrine. That's fine. Uh, and we should be able to disagree without being disagreeable. Uh, you know, it's another whole matter when there's heresy involved. You know, Jesus isn't Lord, that sort of thing. Uh, but of course, a lot of people that are that attack these big name ministers will say that everything they say is uh, heresy and that the prosperity uh, gospel is of the devil, uh, which is just, I mean, I don't know how they say that because didn't Jesus say, given it shall be given unto you? And how did he say that it would be given unto you? With good measure and not just good measure, but what? Pressed down and not just pressed down, but what? Shaken together. You ever, you ever uh, packed up stuff, you know, in a, in a, in a bushel basket or something <clears throat> and uh, you know, it's full, but then you take it and you shake it, you know, and everything kind of settles down. And, and what can you do? You get more in there, right? And then you do it, you do it again, you know, and, and it kind of gets full. And then you, you go, you mash it down, right? Don't, don't you do that too, right? If it's something that doesn't matter to get mashed down. Uh, 
and then what can you do? You can get more in it, right? Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, I just don't know how people get around, I mean, how they ignore those verses like that. Didn't Ephesians 3.20 say that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above what? All that we can ask or think. So, I mean, even if we ask for a lot, can't God even do more than we can ask or think? I mean, the, the whole, and I don't understand the, the end game, you know, uh, because they'll tell you, <clears throat> you know, and I don't want to spend the whole, the whole hour on uh, talking about that, but I just, I just don't understand um, the whole argument against the prosperity message because it takes finances to do everything in the earth, right? I mean, all the food that you eat, you paid somebody for it, right? And very few people have a garden. And even the ones that have garden, is that all you eat? Is just what's in your garden? You don't, ever, you don't ever go to the store and buy meat or go to the store and buy salt or bread or you bake all that stuff yourself. You go out and murder your own chickens. and cow, I mean, you don't do any of that stuff, right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's one out of 1,000 or 10,000 that can be self-sufficient, you know, up on the mountain somewhere in a back holler somewhere, you know, all by themselves, maybe. Uh, but for the most part, the entire world runs around commerce, right? I buy chickens from you, you buy, you know, uh, potatoes from me and whatever it is. Uh, and so it takes, it takes some kind of medium of exchange to do that. And that medium of exchange is most common, uh, finances, money. Sometimes you might trade a cow for a chicken or something, but most of the time you're trading, you know, things for, for some type of money. Uh, that's not new information, right? That's been around since, since forever. I mean, you go all the way back in the Old Testament, since time immemorial, there's been commerce, right? And they've traded, used to be, you ever heard the phrase, they're not worth their salt? Well, the reason that's a phrase is because salt used to be very valuable. It used to be very hard to obtain. It used to be worth a great deal of money. Now salt, I mean, you know, I mean, you, you find salt anywhere, right? It's not even, it's, it's a commodity now. It's of it's of little uh, value and expense, but there was a time when salt was valuable enough that they would use it to purchase things. I'll give you, you know, a bag of salt for, you know, two cows and a chicken or whatever it is. So, uh, so I just, I, you know, and of course, and we haven't really taught much about finances and how to, uh, how to prosper according to the biblical principles that the Lord has given to us. Um, but, you know, there are biblical principles. Jesus said, given it shall be what? given unto you so that's is that a biblical principle well that started in genesis chapter 8 right seed time and harvest uh, and so <clears throat> but to hear some people talk i mean you think that anybody who says that god desires for you to be prosperous that uh, to hear some people talk that that is tantamount to saying that jesus is not lord and that god is not on the throne and that there's many ways to heaven other than the blood of jesus uh, <clears throat> and it's not that way at all in fact i had Somebody just excoriate me about the prosperity gospel. But, you know, I'll hear uh, and the exact same person who was saying that was talking about how, you know, I'm thinking about getting on the road and I hear that these uh, electricians can make like $80 an hour, you know, uh, and like $100 an hour during times of tornadoes and hurricanes, you know, going, you know, we go to another city and you fix all their electricity. And man, I could make a lot of money. And I'm thinking, but, you know, that's your career and your home finances. But then over here, God doesn't want you to prosper. But over here, all you think about is how can you make more money? But over here, God doesn't want you to prosper. But God wants you to leave your family and your children to go on the road for weeks and months on end. That's okay. But God doesn't want you to prosper. But all you think about is prosperity. And there's so much hypocrisy in the people that, that preach hard against that, that They'll get up and, you know, all oh, those tele TV evangelists and have it. Has there ever been a TV evangelist that had bad doctrine financially? Sure. And many of them do. Um, you know, many of them say things like, I'm specially anointed. If you send me money, you know, God will double your your return. Not true. Right. Uh, Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. He didn't say to whom you should give that who you give or how you give uh, is how you prosper of course the, the, the essence is you give by faith right but the destination of that giving if it's in the will of god is all that matters right so if you give to a poor person are they going to return back to you a hundredfold no uh but the bible says when you when you give to the poor you what you lend to god right yeah. and so anybody who says i'm especially anointed to give to me 
out of the will of God. Not true at all because there's no Bible for it. There's no, if there's no Bible for it, then there's no basis for faith for that. And there's no basis for that statement. Uh, and, and even if they say, you know, my ministry is good soil. It's not. The soil is the will of God. And so if God says, give to that poor person over there, you know, generally speaking, that may not be a good investment, right? They may go blow it on, on bubble gum or, you know, cigarettes or whatever, you know. But if the Lord says to go do it, what should you do? You go do it. So the soil is good because of the faith. It's not because of the inherent value of the person that's receiving the money. And anybody who says that is there's no Bible for it. So they're making it up, right? You ever, ever hear anybody say that? I've heard plenty of ministers say, ah, this is good soil. You've got to plant in this good soil. No, the good soil is, are you given by faith, by the direction of the Holy Spirit? And that's all that matters. So if you give to a big church, you give to a small church, you give to a traveling minister, you give to, you know, you give to whoever the Lord tells you to give, and that's good soil. Anything else is bad doctrine, right? Um, but, I've, you know, I've heard it, you've heard it, right? This is good soil, got to give here. I'm especially anointed, you know, give to here. Um, so there, no doubt there is bad doctrine. But let's deal with the bad doctrine and, and not crucify everybody else, you know, not crucify people. Because, you know, there are people who, who say things from a financial standpoint, from a biblical, for the preachers, you know, who say things about the finances that I 100% disagree with. But I disagree with it because I know what the word says. And they'll say something like, I'm the priest of this ministry. Therefore, you, you know, like the Old Testament, you brought your offerings to the priest, right? Well, I'm the priest of this ministry. I'm not the priest of this ministry. I'm the pastor of this ministry. And that makes me a servant of God. I'm not the priest of this ministry. We are all uh, priests and kings, right? Uh, and so, you know, or I'm, uh, uh, they may say things like, I'm Moses, right? I'm not Moses. Moses was a type of Jesus. Joshua really was the type of the pastor, but uh, that's a different discussion there. So, so anyway, I mean, the point is there, there, is, uh, uh, there is a lot of, a lot of bad doctrine. That doesn't do away with the good doctrine, right? And, and I've had people complain about money. And so, you know what I say, right? Who is the only one who ever complained about money in the Gospels? Judas, right? And so if you're complaining about money, about, oh, you're spending too much money. Okay. I mean, first of all, what's the, me- what, what's the, what's the measurement, right? What, what's, what's the standard? Too much money in relation to what? Too much money in relation to how much money the government spends? Because, I mean, they're spending money like a drunken sailor every day, you know, I mean, I mean, they're just way out of control, right? So that's not the measurement, right? Too much money according to Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. I mean, they, they're billionaires, right? I mean, so they don't, they don't, they just, they don't even think about it, you know, they, well, let's buy a new car. Well, let's buy two of them, you know, two. I mean, is that, is that the measurement? You know, what about the person who uh, is completely broke and goes, buys everything on credit? I mean, is that the measurement? You know, I mean, uh, around here, we've never uh, been destitute in the ministry, right? So we've always had, uh, ministry has always been prosperous and always paid its bills. So what's so when they say things like that, it's a, just a generic thing, right? It's just a, it's just a thing to say to be accusatory, without any basis of what that means, right? You're spending too much money. Uh, because remember what what Judas said: we should have taken that that oil and 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 given it to the poor, right? So he was specifically saying we should be taking care of the poor. And Jesus said, not in this case. So in that case, Jesus said, no, we're better spending that money on me. You know, and, and I know the whole thing was about him preparing for his, uh, himself being the offering of mankind, no doubt, right? Uh, but Jesus said, we're not going to give that to the poor. We're going to do something else with that. Well, that, how well would that go over today? Yeah, we decided not to give money to the poor today. We're going to buy brand new chairs or something. I mean, you know, <laughs> and so, but well, first of all, why can't you do both, right? I mean, is there, is there a reason why you can't do both? You know, I don't know. Uh, but there's so much, there's so much uh, uh, passionate, unbiblical arguments in both directions. I've seen, you know, the, usually it's the televangelists that, are, that say crazy, wild things about finances. And usually it's the non-Pentecostal denominational people that, that uh, preach hard against uh, the prosperity doctrine. Those are not hard and fast rules. You know, plenty of people on both sides do a lot of things wrong, but... Uh, but maybe it'd be helpful one of these days, you know, I never have in, in the 12 years of pastoring, never really taught on biblical finances, but um, and I actually taught a class in Bible school about uh, biblical finances, but, uh, and we split it kind of in two sections. One was 
uh, the practical side of finances, you know, how loans work, how credit cards work, and that sort of thing. And the other side was what's the spiritual foundation for having good finances, right? And, um, and I've been talking to Chris, and, and you all let me know if, if uh, you would be interested in doing that. We've, we've been thinking about doing maybe like uh, set up our own uh, short course, like a Saturday or something, or like four Saturdays in a row of just doing, talking about biblical finances. You know, how, how does that work, right? How do we, how do we establish good uh, uh, financial principles? Uh, and prosper, right? I mean, you know, uh, every, every person in the, in the known universe wants to prosper. Uh, everybody wants to do well in life. Uh, nobody not want, you know, I, I don't want, you know. And if they ever say, oh, I don't want any of these worldly goods, it's a lie. Uh, are they sleeping on the ground, you know? I mean, even people who sleep on the ground have a blanket, you know, and, and all they want, is, you know, number one request at all homeless shelters is socks, right? So if they got socks, they consider themselves prosperous. And, and I'm not making light of that. That's, that's the number one request at, uh, at uh, homeless shelters is socks, you know. Uh, and so, uh, so there's just, uh, there, there is envy. And usually the people that are hard against the people who preach that, when I, what I hear is envy. I don't hear sound biblical principles i hear envy i hear it's not right that they have that money i should have that money and they won't quite say it that way but that's really what they mean i would be a better steward of all that money than they would be uh, and you know it's better just to leave it alone none of none of my business you know if uh jesse DePlanis wants to buy a faster airplane you know and i just mentioned his name because people like to pick on people like uh, jesse you know now, do I agree with everything that, that uh, Brother Jesse says? Well, no, you know. Uh, in fact, you know, there's, uh, uh, I mean, the one, that, the closest I ever get to is somebody I agree with uh, most of what they say is Brother Hagen, but it's just because he just says the word for the most part. You know, he has very little expounding beyond what the word says. He just says, here's what the word says. It's true. Like, okay, well, I can agree with that. Uh, and sometimes when we, we expound too much, we get into fields that we ought not be going to, right? Uh, and so anyways, so back to Philippians chapter one. So I'm not anybody's judge. You know, I'll say well, that's bad doctrine you know, and that sort of thing. I, you know, I have no problem with that. But the thing the thing about it is, uh, can you say that without being against that person? Can you say, well, that doctrine is not correct without uh, being bitter towards that person? You know, if you can't, then it might be better not to say anything. Uh, and so he said that uh, he was well known. And that because of that, uh, it says in verse 14, that many of the brethren in the Lord waxed, uh, waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So although he was in bondage, it did encourage the other people that, you know, they didn't shut Paul down. Right. Because a lot of times uh, people in power want to shut people in spiritual authority. They want to shut them down. Right. They want to stop the advancement of the gospel. And. Uh, and so people that are not as strong in faith as Paul will watch to see what happens. Did they shut Paul down? Well, they didn't shut Paul down because literally he's writing this book while in bonds, right? And so that encourages them. And so, well, why aren't they like Paul? Well, there's, everybody's not Paul, right? There are people who are Paul and there are people who are not Paul. Neither one is bad or good. They're just, that's who they are. And so because of that, you know, my observation <clears throat> is that the Lord will oftentimes raise up uh, what I call examples in the body of Christ, people that just for whatever reason have the intestinal fortitude to press forward, you know, regardless of the cost, you know, and, just, uh, and they're just generals in, in the body of Christ. And they are examples to the rest of us that say, hey, you know, they did it. They pressed through. And despite all the odds, they were successful in preaching the gospel. So if they can do it, I can do it. Uh, you know, there, there's not a lot of those people out there like that. You know, there, there are people that just uh, that the path that they are to walk because the path that Paul is on is the path that the Lord has given to him. He's here by the direction of the Lord. Uh, and so uh, now he's not being punished by God's desire, but it was God's desire to get the gospel all the way to Caesar. You know, the greatest government of the world at that time. And here Paul is right there in the palace, right? You know, uh, from, uh, you know, the Judaism, uh, they all considered it kind of a cult and a myth and, and just, well, that's just the Jews, right? Until the, the uh, Christian church started and now they've got to do something because the Jews were not big 
proselytizers, right? They weren't trying to expand the Jewish nation. They wanted pretty much us four no more. But then uh, the Lord Jesus was resurrected and Christianity took off like a wildfire. And so now it's all the way up to the highest levels of the Roman Empire. And that's encouraging to the people that, that are preaching the gospel, right? Uh, and so, uh, so the gospel is going to get expanded. And then he says, um, and we talked about this last week, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, some also of goodwill. So some people are jealous of Paul's success. And they're not preaching the gospel because they really believe it. They're preaching the gospel and they may say all the right words. They may have the flashy you know, suits and ties and the, the flashy uh, everything, you know, uh, but they're only doing that because they look over there and see how Paul is well known in Rome. And out of envy, they, well, I want to be well known in Rome. And, and there are a lot of ministers, you know, it's unfortunate, but there are a lot of ministers who stand behind the pulpit because they want to be known. They want the, the, to be a movie star. They want to be famous. Uh, and we've seen it time and time again, right? You get these movie star ministers. And look, I mean, when, when, um, when I was with my pastor, you know, uh, we didn't have a mega church, but, you know, we had a comfortably uh, good-sized church, 150 people or so, you know, just not, not a large church, but, you know, not a small church. You know, I consider our church a small church today. It may not be a small church tomorrow. But, uh, and so he could get, you know, certain people to come in there and... and um, and I'm not opposed to inviting anybody. I don't care. You know, I'll invite anybody to the church here. Let them decide if they want to come, you know. And so if I believe the Lord wants them to come, then I believe they would come. Uh, and so, uh, but anyway, we had this one particular minister. If I mentioned his name, you'd know him. A very well-known minister. Came in and um, movie star. I mean, just, you know, just, uh, I mean, uh, he had, he had a, a decent message. Not a great message, but just a decent message. And, uh, and um and he got done and he came back. He had all, you know, all kinds of materials there, you know, to sell at his book table. I got nothing wrong with, with selling stuff at a book table. Um, but after the service, he came back and said, hey, would you run the book table, shut it down, pack it all up for me and, and, and give me the money. Uh, and then he went out and just sat on his, he had a, drove a truck. He just sat on the tailgate of his truck. Now, you know, I understand, that, you know, if there's a heavy anointing, if there's a, if there's a big power and move of God, that as a minister, sometimes it, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of get down from that. And, and, and unless you've been there, you know, it's hard to explain. But, you, you know, you yield yourself so much to the Lord that, you know, kind of getting back into this natural world, uh, it sometimes it takes a while. And, um, you know, and I've, and I've observed like when I was with my pastor, uh, I always made sure uh, if, if there was a real big move of God, don't go ask him questions after church because, I mean, he'll just, you know, <laughs> if it's not the right question, he'll just nail you, you know, and uh, and it wasn't so much that he was trying to be rude. It's just, you know, here's the answer. Right. And, and so but that that, it, that wasn't the service. It was just kind of a regular service. Not bad, not good. Just, you know, just a regular service. Not, it was fine. Right. Not try, trying to distract uh, uh, from what he said. Uh, but then he just left. I mean, let, you know, and and. And, it's, and it just seemed like we weren't good enough for him. You know, that we were, you know, he was too good to speak to us riffraff, you know, and, and um, rub elbows with the, with the unwashed masses, you know. And, and so, um, and, and there was more than one like that that came through, you know. And we had several, lots of good ministers. They were very kind. And, uh, but then, you know, I've, I've seen many ministers who get the movie star syndrome and they're too good to talk to people. And I know when you get to, you know, a certain level that, there's crazy people everywhere, right? I mean, Brother Randy tell you stories when he was usher for, for Brother Hagen that uh, Jesus showed up one time, right? And he said, I'm Jesus. I've got a word for Brother Hagen. You know, of course, he wasn't Jesus. He was just some guy, right? And, and people like that all the time. I mean, all the time, right? Uh, just wacko people, right? And so, you know, it's unfortunate, but sometimes you have to uh, not, the, not allow those people to get around you there. And so, Otherwise, you'd be consumed with those kind of people all the time. But, but if you notice, like Brother Randy, when he comes, uh, he's always uh, talking to everybody. And, and after service, what's he do? He goes back to the back there, just like I do, and, and just greets everybody on the way out, right? And if you go to his services, he does the exact same thing. Immediately after, always before the service, he's milling around, talking to different people. After the service, he's always at the back door, greeting every single person as they go out. Uh, and and uh, will he always be able to do that? Well, 
you know? I mean, he'll do his best to always be able to do that right now. If you get a bunch of wacky people and they start doing it, but he's got, he's got people, right? People will just kind of, you know, shepherds hook those crazies out of the way and, you know, um, and deal with them, I know. But uh, so there, there are people, if Paul was writing this uh, in the Bible, he wrote it because we're doing it today, right? Uh, and there are people who are preaching not because they love the Lord Jesus, not because they're called to do it, but because the envious of the position and title uh, that someone has, right? Uh, and in fact, uh, I remember I was uh, used to have someone that was acquaintances with their kids and our kids both played ball. And so we got to uh, have a, you know, uh, a cordial relationship, you know, and so we kind of, uh, he was on one end, of the, one end of the spectrum of certain things. I was on the other end of the spectrum, but we got, we got along really well. You know, we uh, both mature individuals. And, uh, and so he said, I, he said, I'd love to have your job. Just work uh, one hour a week and be done. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah, okay, let's, let's change jobs for a week. Right. Let's do a week, you know, and then we'll, we'll see, you know, we'll see, um, we'll see how it goes. Right. And so uh, I didn't say that, but, uh, you know, people think it's all easy, right? Well, you just, you know, you only preach for a few hours a week. You know, how hard that, can that be? Well, it depends on uh, if you count all the hours of studying and prayer and, and uh, preparation and um, you know, all that to me is considered the job, right? Uh, and then talking to people and, and um, uh, you know, encouraging people and uh, different things. Um, you know, there's, it's a full-time job, right? And so uh, it's... Uh, uh, but it's what I'm called to do anyway, so it's okay, right? And whether I spend 40 hours a week, there's nothing in the Bible that says you've got to spend 40 hours a week doing something. You know, I, I might spend, I mean, sometimes I'll spend all night long studying and working on, on things about the Word, uh, and sometimes I'll go to bed early, you know. And, you know, the Lord loves me both times, right? He loves me if I stay up all night. He loves me if I go to bed early. Uh, and so uh, so the, the thing for us then is to, be, is to not be suspicious, right? Not be suspicious because somebody is successful. And, and I have seen uh, good ministers, right? Just, you know, uh, they preach the word and they do well, but they don't have the success maybe that somebody else has. And I see, I've seen them get bitter towards those that have success. Get bitter. Well, and, and it was almost like, well, Lord, I'm more worthy of success than they are. And, and so it wasn't so much that they were preaching out of envy, but they had envy because of other people's success. Uh, and, you know, you've got to be careful about uh, about um, uh, about being envious. And, I, you know, I know a lot of times in even in, in the circles that I walk in and ministers that oftentimes there's competition. Well, how big is your church? You know, how many people come to your church? And um, I say what Jerry Allen always says is all that want to. Right. And so that's a pretty good answer. Right. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I believe we've got a good word here. I believe we could teach the pe- people faith, right? Encourage them and, and cause them to be successful in this life. Um, and I believe we'll, we'll have uh, uh, continue to grow, right? Uh, we get new people coming in on occasion. So, um, and slow and steady wins the race, you know. And, uh, but, you know, uh, just like Jerusalem, uh, they would do a couple of things and they'd have 3,000 people in the church overnight, right? So, uh, we've got no restraints on the Lord. He can do it, do it however he wants to because everywhere in the Bible it always says that uh, as many as the Lord called were saved, right? Uh, and so he'll call them here as he sees fit. Amen. Uh, so uh, we just have to be careful from your perspective. You, uh, don't be suspicious, but always be aware of the Spirit of God. Always be aware of, Lord, is this, uh, is this person uh, sincere, right? Are they called of God to be in that place, right? I think it's a fair question to ask, you know, is that person called uh, to be there, right? Uh, and, and, you know, uh, and you can't even go by whether or not what they say is anointed about whether or not they're called. Now, you'd be suspicious, I think, you know, but I, you know, I'm sure you've done it too. I'd be traveling somewhere and I'll flip the radio on, try to find, you know, somebody preaching something. And, you know, and I remember I was somewhere and listened to this and I thought, well, this fellow's pretty good, you know. There was an anointing. I didn't know who it was, but I thought, this guy's anointed. And the end of it says, you know, thank you for listening to Charles Capp's ministry. Well, I'd never heard him on the radio before. And, and, but he was anointed. Uh, and then, you know, flipped to other times, like, man, there's nothing here. I mean, there's nothing here, right? I mean, I could listen to just the static at the end of the hour and, and be just as, you know, encouraged by what this fellow's saying, right? Now, were both of those called? I mean, I believe Brother Capps was called. 
but what about the other people? I don't know. I'm not their God. You know, they don't answer to me. Now, I don't have to listen to them, right, unless the Lord tells me to. So, so it just it goes on, right? It's unfortunate, but there, there are people that uh, will preach because they want to be popular. They want to have a following. They want, in their eyes, an easy life. They want, you know, whatever they want. They want everything they want except for the call of God, you know, and uh, and, um, you know, I never have understood it because to me, it's such a it's such a big thing. I mean, even e- even if God has called us to preach to 50 people all of our lives, you know, 20 people all of our, all of our lives, whatever it is, if that's the call, it's such a big it, it's it, to me, it's holy ground. You know, it's just it's it's so uh, in one sense, it's so terrifying to be here because, uh, in fact, Paul, Paul says that uh, or the New Testament says that. Teachers will be will be judged uh, more harshly than other ministers or other people, right? Because we're supposed to be teaching to the Word of God. But if I'm teaching to the Word of God out of envy, then I'm only teaching things to to make you happy, to to cause you to uh, exalt me, you know, to cause you to give me more money or whatever it is. I'm not teaching you with a desire to help you to grow spiritually, and so. Uh, the people that are doing that, the people that are preaching out of envy, uh, they will be judged more harshly than than other people, right? Because they're leaders, right? And so they they have responsibility. Uh, and the more responsibility you have, the 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 more the 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 higher the judgment will go, right? So we know that with with uh, uh, we saw that with uh, Moses, right? Versus the children of Israel, we talked about that. Uh, and so. Uh, so don't preach out of envy, right? That's the whole, the whole point of that verse, right? It is preach because you're called to do it. Uh, and, and look, I know there are people that, that preach the gospel, witness, you know, and do a great job. And they say, I don't, you know, in fact, uh, Brother Caps, oftentimes who said, I don't know that I'm called to be any particular minister, yet he was one of the greatest ministers around, you know, for his teachings on the word and, and the, the tongue and, and faith. He was a great minister of the gospel, right? Uh, and but he would never even claim that he was anything in particular other than just a preacher of the word, right? He would never claim to be a teacher or an apostle or a prophet or anything. Uh, and so, uh, so he said um, that uh, uh, in verse sixteen, the one preached Christ of contention or fraction or not sincerely or because of selfish ambition, uh, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Uh, and so. You know, they were hoping that by their preaching, they could draw people away from Paul and cause harm to his ministry and draw people away from him. Uh, and, you know, again, there are people who do that. They, they want they want uh, their success to come intentionally at the expense of somebody else. That's, and that's what Paul's saying. But that's, isn't that terrible that people do that? But that's what he said they're doing. You think anybody's doing that today? I'm going to split your church right down the middle. Well, so they want to succeed by you failing. And that's terrible. But why is Paul saying this? People are doing it, right? You know, isn't that a great thing? Well, why is it? Why is it in the Bible? Because people are doing it, right? There's no need to be in there if people aren't doing it. So are people doing that? People are doing that, right? Uh, and so, you know, I told you that uh, um, after my pastor died, uh, he died in 2007. Um, you know, there was a lot of uh, there was just a lot of drama. You know, uh, anytime flesh gets involved in things, there's drama everywhere. I don't like drama. I don't do drama. I, I choose not to participate in drama. I don't have any drama in my life. I don't have any drama in my household. I don't do drama, you know, and, and so, but it's a lot of drama. And so one of the folks that was at the church uh, left the church and, um, uh, and went down the street, you know, a couple blocks and started his own church. And so... Uh, somebody in the leadership came to me and said, hey, uh, you need to go down there and, and go to one of their services and see what's going on. You know, kind of with the, with the attitude of give them the evil eye. Let them know we know what, what they're doing. Right? You let them know. I said, I'm not doing that. Are you crazy? I said, because even if they're wrong, because remember what, what Paul said, he said uh, in verse 18, what then notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. Right. So even if their attitude is wrong, but they're preaching the gospel. Somebody might accidentally get saved. Right. I mean, it's what he says, what Paul says. Right. I mean, because even if you're even if my even if my motives are wrong standing in this pulpit, if the word is going forth, 
The word has power contained in itself. And just by accident, you read the book of Numbers, somebody could get saved, right? I mean, that's what he says. And so uh, Christ is preached, and I there and do rejoice, and, and uh, yea, and will rejoice. And so I said, look, if I go down there, and from before the foundation of the world, the Lord had intended that this person goes to that guy's church. And for whatever reason, that they were at the perfect spot spiritually to hear the gospel and get saved. And if I go down and give that guy the evil eye while he's preaching, he may, not, he may get flustered and not deliver the message he's supposed to deliver. And that person might miss eternity. And that'd be on me. It wouldn't be on the preacher. It'd be on me because I get, I'm sitting back there. And, yeah, I'm seeing, I'm watching you, buddy. You know, is, am I the sheriff of the body of Christ? Is it my job to go out and make sure that you're not preaching by pretense or any other reason? Is it my job to judge why you're preaching? I mean, I don't have to go to your church, but... You know, it's not my job to go and shut down all the churches that are, should be shut down. I mean, and, and, and no doubt there are plenty of churches that I'll just be shut down, turned into a hardware store, right? Because they're not helping nobody, right? They're out of their pretense or whatever. But am I their judge? No, I'm not their judge. The, I'm, I'm, fully, I'm fully convinced that the head of the church is well able to take care of his own church. That unless that pastor answers to me, which he doesn't, then it's kind of none of my business. And so I said, I'm not going down there. You know, I'm not going to go down and, and uh, mess up their service. Uh, and, and, oh, I, no, no, I wasn't asking you to do that. And yeah, you were. Lie. They didn't lie to me like I'm dumb, you know, I'm not dumb. Because um, uh, their whole attitude was, you go down there and see what, what they're doing. You know, it's bitterness, right? They were envy, envy over them because they, they left the church. Uh, there's too much envy in the, in the body of Christ, too much competition among churches. You know, we're all on the same team, Amen. I believe that there, there are people who are best suited to come to this ministry and there are people who are best suited to go somewhere else. That, that for whatever reason, they just can't hook up with the, with the way I teach, what I teach, what the God's called us to teach here. Because I believe that what we teach is what God's called us to teach, right? Primarily faith. But, you know, I've had people come and say, hey, you, uh, I'm looking for a church where they teach about end time events. Not this church. You, know, you won't get that here. I mean, we might mention it on occasion, but, you know, we have not done a, an in-depth study. And mostly it's just I hadn't had time. I mean, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, do well with what we got right now. I mean, uh, well, well, when's the end time going to happen? When the Lord feels like it's going to happen, right? Uh, you know, uh, I mean, and really, it doesn't really matter. We're not going to be here anyway. We're going to be observers of all the tribulation, you know, and of course, big arguments about the tribulation, you know. Uh, and so uh, I, I'll live in the epistles, right? From the book of Romans to the book of Jude. That's primarily where well, I'll do most of my teaching from because that's to the church, right? That's the church age. The tribulation is the age after that we're in, right? And so we're not in that age, we're in this age. So we can talk about that on occasion, but that's not the primarily emph- primary emphasis of this ministry because that's a whole different age, right? That's after the church age. That's at the end of this age here. And so uh, if we spend all of our time talking about a time that we're not living in, we're not doing anything about improving the time that we are living in. So that, that you know, that's just my heart in the matter, but but, you know, some people just love that. They love end time events. They love, you know, what's Israel doing? You know, what's, you know, what's Ukraine and Russian conflict going to, uh, where's that in the Bible? You know, I don't know. I'm, you know, it's probably in there somewhere. But, you know, blood moons and, and you know, 12 tribes of, you know, whatever. And I mean, just, uh, and I'm not trying to make light of that. But, uh, some, I mean, sometimes we can get out of, way out of balance in those things, right? Sometimes it's just a thing. It ain't nothing more than just a thing, right? But, but sometimes we have to, heap upon it uh, all kinds of of, uh, uh, of interesting possible uh, end time event scenarios right so uh, so uh, at, at the end of the day Paul recognizes that sometimes people are preaching for the wrong motive a- and and yet what's his attitude what then notwithstanding every way whether in pretense or in truth Christ is preached and therein do I do rejoice yea and will rejoice uh, I therein do rejoice and I will continue to be happy. Uh, and so <clears throat> to me, that's the right attitude. You know, well, well, don't you think that church ought to be shut down? None of my business. Are they preaching Jesus at all? Well, yeah, every now and then. Well, then praise God. You know, they're preaching Jesus at all. I mean, there, there are some churches, they'll preach a salvation message and they'll preach a salvation message again and then salvation message again. Until the Lord Jesus comes back, they're going to preach the salvation message. They're not going to preach about the second kings. They're not going to preach about uh, speaking in tongues. They're not going to preach about how to prosper. They're not going to teach about how to overcome. They're not going to teach about spiritual gifts. They're going to teach about salvation. 
and people will pretty much remain in a baby state, you know, a Christian baby state all their life. Because if all you eat is mashed carrots all your life, it's hard to grow, right? I mean, uh, I'm going to say I love mashed carrots, but you ever tasted a mashed carrots, a baby food? It's disgusting, right? I mean, it's just like, wow. You know, I feel bad for my kids. You know, we used to feed this stuff to you. Sorry about that, you know. Glad you moved on since then. But, um, you know, and Hebrews talks about, you know, how at this point you ought to be teachers, but you're still babes, you know. And, and, uh, and there will be Christians who will go to a church for a thousand years and go there as a baby and leave as a baby. Uh, none of my business, you know. I mean, the Lord as the head of the church is well able to, if he needs to shut a church down, I'm sure he can figure out a way to shut a church down. If he needs to encourage a Christian to go to church somewhere else, he can encourage a Christian to go to church somewhere else, right? Uh, and so uh, we should leave the rest of it alone. So just be careful, uh, uh, and, and I'd, be, I'd really cautious you, caution you against railing against any minister because you're judging another man's servant. You're saying, I'm, I'm the judge over that person. That person should, should be shot or should be arrested or should be whatever. You're standing in judgment over them. And it's not any of our business. Uh, what if they're wrong? That's up to the Lord Jesus. You know, he can handle it. You know, I, I can take care of the doctrinal side. But whether or not they should be a minister, that's above my pay grade. Right. Uh, and I will hear ministers. Uh, you know, one of the worst things, you know, I haven't heard in a while, but every, every now and people come through here. Well, you know, uh, and, and, you know, we, we always want to people visit, you know, hey, are you a member of a church somewhere else? You know, if you are, then, you know, we had some folks visiting from Maryland, you know, their church up there in Maryland. And, um, you know, praise God, we'll be, be faithful there. And, and um, you know, if you're ever in the, in, the, in the area, you know, come and visit. Uh, and so, um, but um, uh, I've, I've had people visit. Well, you know, well, I quit going to that church over there because that pastor, you know, this, this, and I didn't like what the pastor did about this, and what the pastor did about that. And I'm thinking, well, what are you going to say about me in a month? Right? What are you going to say about me in six weeks? You know? Uh, and so... <laughs> You know, it, it doesn't impress me when people come and rag on another minister, right? It just doesn't impress me at all because, because um, what are you going to say about me? You know, uh, because if you're called somewhere, then you're called there, right? I mean, I, I can't run you off until the Lord says to go somewhere else, amen? Uh, at least that's the way it ought to be. That's the way the Lord designed it to be. Uh, and so, so I'm going to rejoice. Are they preaching any gospel at all? Then I'm going to rejoice. What if I don't like what they preach? I mean, if they preach, the, if they open up the Bible and read a verse or two every now and then, I'm going to rejoice. Amen. If they get up and just say dumb things like Jesus isn't Lord, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the only God, so, uh, follow me. You know, it's not even Christianity, right? So we just go on. But um, and I think every evangelist, t- television evangelist today is preaching the word for the most part. Right. Probably 80, 90, maybe 95 percent, 99 percent. Just the Bible. Right. And I'm not even going to judge about that. But um, you know, and, I, and I've seen ministers get on there and say, Jesus, you know, was sad. Jesus, you know, had a hard time about different things. Uh, and so saying things, you know, about Jesus that wasn't even true. You know, Jesus was probably sick every now and then, just like you and me, right? <laughs> Making stuff up, right? Uh, I just, you know, how I take care of that? I just turn, turn to a channel, right? Watch John Wayne or something like that. And, uh, and uh, John Wayne never, never, you know, John Wayne was a Christian before he died, right? He used to go to Brother Hagin camp meetings and stuff. And, uh, and so... Um, uh, the, the old duke, right? So, uh, so we can rejoice, right? We can be happy. We can continue to be happy. Uh, and, if I, and if I hear people, when they talk about other ministers, if they're not continuing to be happy, then they're, uh, they're not in line with Paul. Because Paul is saying, I'm going to be happy even if what they're doing is just out of envy for my position and, and trying to, what he said, add infliction to my bonds. If their whole intent is to preach so that they hurt somebody else, Paul said, I'm going to be happy. That's a pretty good way to live right there, right? Uh, and so I'd be careful about not continuing to be happy when you see a minister that you disagree with their doctrine. Amen? Uh, because it's, it's, uh, you're going to be in conflict with the word of God. You're going to be in conflict with the example that Paul gave to us. Amen? So can we be happy if we, even if we don't like what somebody's preaching? Sure. You know, I mean, if all somebody ever does is preach you know, the, out of the Old Testament. You know, and I know some ministers, all they do is preach out of the Old Testament. Man, man, I just, as it gets so old to me, it's like, well, I want to know about faith, right? I mean, I thank God for the Old Testament, but I live in the New Testament. I live in the epistles, right? I want to find out what Jesus did for me. I want to find out, you know, how I can overcome and how the, how the spirit, uh, spiritual gifts operate and different things. And, you know, I mean, 
so-and-so begat so-and-so, and this is a lineage of that guy, and, you know, I mean, it just... In fact, we, we had to do a, a um, youth camp one time years ago, and we went to Latvia to do youth camp, and, uh, and I was the, the speaker for the, for the camp, and they said, well, we've got a theme. Uh, All right, praise God, what's the theme? Got faith, you know, resurrection of the dead, you know, five kings of Israel. And I'm like, what does that mean, you know? I mean, I know it's Old Testament, you know, but there's more than five kings. But, well, these five, these five kings. Well, why those five kings, you know? Man, I never studied so much about five kings. And, and um, I mean, somehow, some way, the Lord blessed it, but I couldn't tell you a thing I said, you know, for the, that week there. Uh, because it's just not, you know, that's just not, not where, where, where the Lord's called me. But if that's what they want, you know, then, of course, then I was diligent and did what they asked me to do, right? Uh, and so I'm going to be happy. You're going to be happy? We can be happy. Let's follow Paul's example. I think that's the best way to, to follow his example, right? Uh, and so he says, For I know, in verse, uh, in verse 19, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so uh, he's, he's uh, let me read that one more time. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation or deliverance through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So uh, if you remember earlier on in, in, this, in, the, uh, in this chapter, he said in verse 9, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. So uh, at the beginning of the chapter, he was talking about how he's praying for the Philippians. But now he turns it around and says that your prayer for him shall turn to his salvation or his deliverance uh, and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so... You know, this is an interesting phrase, the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, so the Spirit of Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit, right? It's the Spirit that Jesus gave. So whenever you see that phrase on occasion in the New Testament, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and that's talking about specifically the Holy Spirit. But I like the way that, that it's, it says it here, that the supply of the Spirit. So what does the Spirit supply to you? Well, he supplies the power of God to you, right? The power of God is uh, contained within us by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he says that deliverance will come not just by prayer, but by prayer and supply or the power of God that comes into your life. Uh, and so there is a supply of this power of God that's available to you, that, and that supply is sufficient to you to go uh, to overcome any situation, right? And so, uh, you know, if you use that word supply in the other context in, in your normal life, right, I've got to go get buy some supplies, right? And so what do you mean? i got to go buy things that I need to, to do the job at hand, right? So if you're in a company and you go go buy supplies and you've got to go buy things that the company needs to do whatever their job is at that moment, right? Uh, and so the supply of the Spirit is that part that's added to you in order to accomplish God's will in this, in this earth. Uh, and, and I mean, we could probably spend a long time just talking about that and how important it is to learn how to depend upon the spirit of God for all that you are. Uh, depend upon the supply, of the spirit of God, because the supply is necessary because you don't have the tools necessary to do everything you're called to do. So you need another supply. You need an additional supply. Right. That's the whole point of, of needing a supply is you don't have what you need at that moment. Uh, and. You know, if you look at the life of your average Christian, how much does the average Christian actually depend upon and need the supply of the Spirit in order to be successful in their life? You know, a lot of Christians are completely self-sufficient. I've got this, Lord. I'm good. I'm, I'm you know, I'm fine. I don't, you know, I don't need any help. Uh, and uh, until you develop a, a uh, need-based relationship with the Lord, that I need the Lord. I need the Lord to breathe. I need the Lord to get up. I need the Lord to, to function in this life. I need him every day. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you don't have the mentality, then, then, then he said that the, the goal of that supply is to obtain deliverance in your life, right? And he didn't say specifically what, uh, what deliverance that, that he needed, but, you know, Paul needed a lot of deliverance in the natural realm, but in the spiritual realm as well, right? And, and probably in the soulless realm and of all the mental anguish that he had to deal with, he probably needed deliverance in all aspects of his life, right? Uh, and... You know, I remember talking to a fellow who goes to, he, he goes to, I, I call it the church, of, first church of doubt and unbelief, right? Because they don't believe anything. It's like, how are you even a church? I mean, you don't believe in miracles or the Holy Spirit or, you know, you don't, I mean, you don't believe in, 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 in uh, speaking in tongues. I mean, so what do you believe in, right? 
uh, and uh, and that, but they will tell you we're the most word-based church that there is. That they really believe that they are most the most word-focused, central uh, focus of their ministry is the Word of God. But they don't believe half of the Word of God. So I'm like, well, you know, raise a, you know, you, are you taking any questions? Good luck, that. So I asked one fellow one time. I said, uh, well, you know, you got the Holy Ghost in you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We believe in the Holy Ghost. I said, so, so, so what? Uh, does he speak to you? No, no. Does he lead you supernaturally? No. Does he show you things to come? No. Uh, uh, do you, does he bear witness with you that you're a child of God? Well, no, not that I've ever noticed. Well, uh, I mean, do, does, he, uh, uh, does he speak through you with tongues uh, that you don't know? No, no. I said, so, so what's he doing? What's the Holy Spirit doing? Because he should be doing something, right? I mean... I said, if he's not doing anything, then, then that's what we call a squatter, right? That it's just, he's sitting there taking up space, but he's not doing anything. And, and so what's he not doing? He's not providing a supply to them. Now, he, he is the supply, right? He's the only supply that we have. And we should be able to draw from that supply and live by that supply and, and improve and overcome by that supply because deliverance, right? Overcome everything. Uh, and, and so what could you overcome with the supply of the Spirit? Well, everything. But if, if, but if the Holy Spirit is doing nothing in your life, then why is he there? And it wasn't that he wasn't doing anything in life. They don't believe that he does anything in their life. They don't believe that he speaks or leads or guides or, or, or uh, provides spiritual gifts or uh, you know, revelation. Or he, he doesn't do anything. So, well, why did Jesus send him? I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you so he'll do nothing. So if Jesus did nothing or he sent the Spirit that did nothing, that's the same result, right? Uh, well, why would, he, why would he send the Spirit to your life? Because he, he said in, in John chapter 14 that, that the Spirit is with you and he shall be in you, right? Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he said that he is in you, right? So now he's in us. And, and, and they believe as a Christian that the Spirit's in them because they kind of have to, right? That's what Jesus said. Well, yeah, I believe he's in me. Well, what's he doing? Well, nothing. Well, then he's not a supply. But Paul said he's a supply that will provide deliverance. Uh, and of course, it's, it's empowered by their faith of prayer. But uh, what's your supply? What's, your, what's the supply of your spirit you have right now? See, if you believe that you have a supply of the spirit, what can you not overcome? Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's uh, uh, as Christians, and I deal with people over long periods of time. And, I, and I'll see people that, that uh, they have a hard time being honest. Because the more honest you are with yourself, the easier it is to overcome. Uh, uh, and so, you know, I know people that deal with, with uh, struggling, uh, for example, with like unforgiveness. And you'll talk to them, well, I'm trying. And you talk to them a year from now, well, I'm trying to forgive them. You talk to them 10 years from now, I'm trying. They ain't trying. If they had the supply of the Spirit, they could get over it just like that. I mean, remember what Jesus said in, in John chapter, or in Luke chapter 17? And when Jesus said, you've got to forgive your brother and, and and the apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. And they asked to increase their faith for the, for the specific need to forgive. And Jesus said, if you had a smidgen of faith, that's all you need. A smidgen of faith. And so when people say, you know, I, and I understand, look, I have been there. I know what it means to struggle with forgiving people. But, you know, once you understand what forgiveness is, that forgiveness is, the, uh, and, and, uh, and if you think about it, what does forgive mean, right? I know we, if you've been around here a while, you probably know what the definition we use, which is the, but I studied it for a while, and, and, and it was like circular logic. Forgiveness, the act of forgiving. Well, forgiving, it's, it's quantified by how much forgiveness you, you give to somebody. It's like, what does it mean? You're just defining the word by the word, right? So how big is big? Big is big. But that didn't tell me anything, right? So you kind of have to dig around and, 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 and go through a bunch of scriptures. And, and I spent a long time, one time, Lord, what does it mean? I, I need to know when I forgive somebody, because people say, I forgive you. But what does that mean? I forgive you. Those are words, but what does that actually mean? You know what I'm saying? Because that, that's my job, right? I, well, what does that mean? That's, that always bugs me when people say things, but I don't really know what that really means, right? Well, the, if, you, if you do enough research and just read what the word says and read the definitions of these words, the, to forgive means to pardon Right. So the pardon is somebody as an act of their will chooses to say that what that person has done is now off the books, is no longer relevant. Uh, and, and as far as 
the person who has the right to pardon, as far as they're concerned, they never did that. That's what it means to forgive. So if you really forgive somebody, then they've never done anything to you. That's what it means to pardon somebody. And the thing that's nice about it is you get to do it as an act of your will. That's it. You choose because you're in charge of your own life. I choose to pardon that person. That's what it means, right? To pardon somebody, to forgive somebody is to pardon them, right? Uh, you know, Brother Randy knows all about that because after he spent many years in, in prison with, uh, um, uh, with no hope for parole, right? A life sentence uh, uh, without parole. He got paroled. Well, that's great, but he still had a record. And then sometime after he was paroled, he petitioned the government and he obtained a full pardon. Which the, and so the government says, as far as we're concerned, you never did anything. Now, he did things, right? He'll never say he didn't do things. He did those things. But as far as the government is concerned, he never did those things. That's what it means to pardon somebody. I choose to decide that, that the way I'm going to live towards you is, is if, as if you've never done anything to me. Uh, and, you know, my faith, even uh, long before I knew what pardon meant, my faith was always, I'm going to live as if nobody's ever done anything to me. And I didn't really realize what I was saying is I choose to live in forgiveness all the time because the supply of the spirit gives me the power to look at that, that situation and say, I choose to to say that that person has never done anything to me. Uh, and it, that's just a decision. That's not I'm, I'm trying to decide that. Do you do you decide to do that or not? I mean, it's it's a yes or no. It's it's on or off. It's it's uh, forgive or not forgive. It's not trying. There's no trying to be done, right? The supply of the Spirit is not trying to do anything. The supply of the Spirit delivers you, right? The supply of the Spirit delivers you from the unforgiveness. Uh, and so, and, and what you'll find is the more of the supply of the Spirit that you, that you depend upon, the easier it is for you to forgive. The easier it is for you to overcome anything. I mean, it, be, it gets to where, um, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, but uh, in, most, in most situations in my life, I just make light of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can't believe they said those things to me. Yeah, uh, and it's not because I'm crazy, right? Because people are like, you're crazy, you know, you don't, nothing bothers you, you know. It's just that if I'm going to be in forgiveness, then, then it's the same as if they've never done anything to me. Now, it's not that, that I, you know, when you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that you have to go and have a relationship with them. You know, there's, I mean, do I have any relationship with that guy on, on, uh, in China? I don't even know the guy in China, right? So I'm not going to go pursue a relationship with him. Uh, you know, you're not required to have a relationship with somebody if you forgive them, right? Uh, because if they're untrustworthy, then they're still untrustworthy after you forgive them, right? I mean, you forgive them, you pardon them, but they're still untrustworthy. Uh, and, um, you know, even though after Brother Randy got out of jail and got a, got a, got a, uh, a parole, he went to the Bible school and they said, we'll come back in a year. Well, I'm parole. Yeah, but come back in a year. We're going to see, you know. And his parole officer, he went to his parole officer. I mean, you should hear him, tell him the story because it's, uh, uh, it, it's, it's a sad but funny story at the same time. But he went to the parole officer all excited, you know, first meeting with his parole officer. Oh, I'm going to preach the gospel. You know, God's changed me. I've done some, you know, I'm going to live for God now and do all these things. And the parole officer just like, and not saying anything, right? And finally got done. And the parole officer had this big stack. You know, I'd, lo I'd love to see the stack of it, you know, but it was, it was Brother Randy's record. And he opened it up. And he said, did you do this, son? Yeah. He flipped the page. Did you do this? Yeah. Flipped the page. Did you do this? Yeah. He said, you know how many times I've heard that same story that you've said? He said, I don't care what you say. He said, I'll believe it when I see it. And all the air went out of Brother Randy because he's just all super excited. He thinks parole officer is going to be on his side and, you know, help him, you know, all these things. And parole officer, I'll believe it when I see it. All right. And, and, and so, but what did he do? He proved him. He proved him. He proved that he, what he said was so uh, and was probably one in a thousand, probably maybe the only one that parole officer had ever seen that actually did that and, and followed through on what he said. Um, and so, you know, he, but he was paroled. But could they trust him yet? No, because he had to prove himself, right? So, you know, could you ever trust somebody that was untrustworthy before? Well, I mean, there is mercy, right? But just because you pardon somebody doesn't mean you have to go back and give them your bank account name and your mother's maiden name, your favorite high school teacher and all those things. You know, you don't have to, there's no requirement to do that. You know, you'd be led by the Spirit of God, right? Because the Spirit of God will say, yeah, you forgive them, but then you don't have to have a relationship with them ever again, you know? Now, 
you've got to be honest with yourself, though, right? You've, the only way this works is if you're honest. If you're just bitter towards them and you, and you can't stand aside of them, that's still not, you haven't pardoned them, right? Uh, you can walk in love with somebody and still not have a relationship with them, right? Um, and so that's, that's between you and the Lord. You've got to figure out what the path is for you there, right? Pardoning them does not mean that they get to be part of your life again. You know, just like with, uh, it happens more often with women than men, but when women are abused in a, in a marriage situation. I mean, my, my counsel would be you walk out the door and you never go back, ever, right? I mean, a grown man hits a grown woman, you know? I mean, there's no need to ever go back, right? What if he says, sorry, praise God, I'm glad you're sorry, see you in heaven. I mean, you know, that'd be my counsel. Now, if the Lord says, parts the sky and now does a, you know, Hosea move or something, tell them to go, I mean, maybe, but it'd be, I mean, it'd have to be a burning bush and, you know, probably two burning bushes, right? We'll, we'll burn the bush and then burn all the grass around the bush, right? Uh, and, and so... Uh, but that'd be my counsel, right? I mean, forgive them, right? Act like they'd never done anything to you, but you don't have to go back to them. That'd be, that'd be crazy, right? Because they haven't changed. Just because you forgave them doesn't mean that they've changed, amen? So what's the supply of your spirit? What's the supply of the spirit? The supply of the spirit is there to supply everything you have need of. So there's no reason for us to ever be unsuccessful in any area of your life, not just financially, but what Paul, uh, I like what he said at the end of that verse, uh, in verse 18, he says, uh, I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice, or I've got a footnote in my Bible that says, I will continue to be happy. So you're only going to be able to continue to be happy in the supply of the Spirit. And see, if you're happy all the time, people think there's something wrong with you. I mean, just, you know, uh, I like to cut up, you know, and I've noticed everybody doesn't like to cut up quite as much as I do, Right. Uh, and uh, I think I've told the story before, but it's, it's still, it's always funny every time I think about it. But when I, when I was in, um, uh, when, when one of my girls were in, in school playing soccer, after one of the games, we stopped at one of the restaurants, right? And, and, um, and so we bought our food. Just, it was just me and her at that time. You know, Chris was somewhere else doing something else with one of the other kids, I'm sure. And so I hand the, the, the lady at the counter a $20 bill, and she does this right here. I pick, you know, Make sure it's real, and, and so I'm like, okay, you know. So she handed me my change back, and so I took her money and look up, put it up the lights there, you know, see if it was real. And I, you know, me and me and my daughter, we both laughed. She thought, you know, she's like, I hate your mama. You know, that's kind of what's her attitude. I hate your mama. I hate your daddy too. I don't even like your dog. And, and you know, people just, you know, they, they uh, isn't that funny? Isn't that, I think it's that's still funny. I mean, that's been 20 years or so, or not 20 years, but it's been a long time. But it's still funny, and, and I'd probably do it again, you know, if if uh, if, it, if I needed to, right? You just you, uh, don't make me go there, right? Uh, and so, because I'm going to continue to be happy. And people oftentimes will think you're foolish or that you're, you know, not very, not very wise or, you know, blah, 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 you know, not very, very mature. Um, <laughs> you know, however, you know, I, if I can continue to be happy, you can think whatever you want to about me. I don't care. I'm happy, you know, and uh, in my little uh, blissful world of the supply of the spirit. Amen. So, uh, you know, the, he doesn't say much about that phrase, but the supply of the Spirit, that, that's, that's a pretty big thing, right? He said that that will cause him to have deliverance. Uh, and it will cause you to have deliverance out of every circumstance in your life if you will rest upon the supply of the Spirit, amen? And not the, the supply of your own wisdom and your own knowledge, your own, your own hard work. All those things are fine, right? But that's not what causes deliverance. Deliverance will come from the faith of the prayers and uh, the supply of the Spirit. Amen. Uh, and so let's, let's pray and thank the Lord for His Word today. So Father, we thank You for the Word of God. And Father, we do thank You that there is a supply of the Spirit that's there to provide everything that we have need of. We will never have to lack, Father, if the, if the Spirit is supplying all of our need. Uh, and so, Lord, we thank You for that. We thank You for being good to us, for granting us access to Your Spirit, for granting us access to Your name and to Your Word. And so, Father, we will continue to be happy and we will continue to rejoice. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And we give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Is the Lord good? Yeah. He's good. You know, I, I just about preach myself happy just talking about being happy. Amen. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I much prefer to be happy. Amen. Uh, I never have understood people who can go for days and months and weeks and years not being happy. Hey, well, then... Do something, change something, right? Uh, use the supply of the Spirit to, to overcome, amen? There's no need in going, by, going through life 
unhappy. Amen. Uh, it's uh, uh, and I don't know. You know, didn't Jesus paid a great price for us? Amen. And and uh, by doing so, he provided the ability for the spirit of God to come down and live on the inside of me. I mean, it's the greatest gift. If you go through the whole plan of salvation, the whole plan of redemption from back from the book of Genesis all the way up through uh, basically the end of the Bible, what you'll find is that the whole game, the whole end game of redemption was to get the spirit of God in me. It wasn't about my sin. It wasn't about uh, my prosperity. It wasn't about anything. It was about getting the spirit of God in me. He had to deal with sin. He had to deal with sin nature. He had to deal with the, the, the spirit that needed to be born again. But the end game was to get the Spirit of God in me. That was the whole point of it. Uh, and, and, uh, and so I don't think you can teach enough about that. Because if that's the whole end game of the redemption, everything in the, from Genesis chapter 3 until the resurrection of Lord Jesus was all set up to get the Spirit of God on the inside of me. And then Paul explains those things to us, like this verse here about the supply of the Spirit. Uh, and that, that helps us, amen? And so let's get ready to receive this evening's offering. And... Um, uh, we appreciate your faithful giving. Amen. Uh, we had our business meeting on, on Sunday, right? So I think that went well. So come ahead, Mr. Jared, receive the offering. And, um, you know, I believe that, the, uh, of course, the church has always been prosperous. We've always had all the finances we've needed to, to do everything that the Lord's called us to do. And I believe that that will continue on. Amen. Uh, if nothing else, because we're, uh, we are a big giver. You know, the church, we give a lot of money away, right? We, uh, we're not here to hoard it up to ourselves. We give it away as the Lord instructs us to do. Amen. Uh, and so we'll be blessed. Stay warm. And uh, we'll see you all on Sunday.